Welcome to Therapy on the Cutting Edge, a podcast for therapists who want to be up to date on the latest advancements in the field of psychotherapy. I'm your host, Dr. Keith Sutton, a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area and the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy. At the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, we provide training in evidence-based models, including family systems, cognitive behavioral therapy, emotionally focused couples therapy, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, motivational interviewing, and other approaches through live, in-person, and online trainings, on-demand trainings, consultation groups, and one-way mirror trainings. We also have therapists throughout the Bay Area and California providing treatment through our six specialty centers, which are each grounded in evidence-based approaches. With our lifespan centers, our Center for Children, Center for Adolescents, where all the therapists are working systemically, our Center for Couples, where all the therapists are using emotionally focused couples therapy, and our specialty issue centers, our Center for Anxiety, where all the therapists are using CBT and then EMDR for trauma, and our Center for ADHD and our Oppositional and Conduct Disorder Clinic, where we're integrating those four approaches. Additionally, we have our associated nonprofit, Bay Area Community Counseling, where we provide treatment for those in financial need who can't afford the licensed experienced therapists in the Institute, but can work with associates and clinicians developing their expertise through our nonprofit. Additionally, as part of our nonprofit, we also have the Family Institute of Berkeley, where we provide treatment training and one-way mirror trainings in family systems. To learn more about training, treatment, or employment opportunities, please go to sfiap.com. And to support our nonprofit, you can go to sf-bacc.org to donate today to support access to therapy for those in financial need, as well as training and evidence-based treatment. BACC is a 501c3 nonprofit, so all donations are tax deductible. Today, I'll be speaking with David Van Nuys, PhD, who is the past chair and professor emeritus in psychology at Sonoma State University, a department with an international reputation for humanistic, existential, and transpersonal psychology. He has also taught at the University of Montana, University of Michigan, and the University of New Hampshire. In addition, David runs a market research business, eFocus Groups, which has served a distinguished list of clients, including the New York Times, Apple Computers, IBM, Hewlett-Packard, and Quicken Loans, among others. He leads personal growth workshops at various growth centers around the United States and abroad. David earned his doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Michigan and has worked as a licensed psychotherapist in both New Hampshire and California. A frequent public speaker, he has also published in professional journals, popular magazines, and co-authored a book on the infamous Zodiac serial killer. He also produces two popular podcasts, Shrink Rep Radio and Wise Counsel. David is a longtime dream worker himself and a past IASD presenter, and for many years taught a course on myth, dream, and symbol at Sonoma State University. In 2018, he received an award from the American Psychological Association for his pioneering podcast, Shrink Rep Radio. The award was presented at Harvard University by the APA president before a crowd of several hundred educational podcasters. Since 2005, he has conducted around 1,000 interviews with movers and shakers around the broad world of psychology, including dream workers, dream researchers, and Jungian analysts. Let's listen to the interview. So hi, David. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah. They have the shoe on the other foot. Given, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I interviewed you on my podcast not very long ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I know of your work because, gosh, I 
back when I was in grad school, um, listening to your different podcasts, different interviews of different therapists. Um, I, I really just was, you know, soaking it up and really enjoyed. And I actually reached out to you and asked if you could maybe interview some family therapists and you kind of turn the tables and said, Oh, well, how about I interview you? And, <laughs> and that was back in 2009. And, um, and yeah, you've been been doing incredible work with your podcast. Uh, and and actually, I followed up most recently because I couldn't find that old podcast. And you said, well, hey, let's do another one. So that was really great to do that the other week. Yeah. And I think I was episode like 800 and something or other. So yeah. You have yeah. been doing this a long time, interviewing lots of different people. Um, I, th I think I've got over a thousand interviews, frankly, because I did another set of interviews maybe around 125 or 130 interviews under the banner of wise counsel. Yeah. And yeah. I've been hired by a, a web portal uh -huh. uh, and, and you're aware of that. And, yeah. and uh, that's great. So they actually paid me to do uh, those, those early interviews, not, not a princely. Sum, sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. But enough to be, uh, to, to motivate me and make me feel good. <laughs> good. Good. Well, yeah, and, and I think the medium that, uh, of these podcasts and getting information out there is so important. Um, and, and I want to find out about your kind of, you know, your work. But first, you know, I always like to find out about folks' uh, kind of evolution of their thinking and how they got to doing what they're doing and thinking about what they're thinking about. Yeah, so well, let me tell you about how I got into podcasting mm -hmm. and, and how it is that I have uh, so many interviews mm -hmm. available to listeners online. Sure. And uh, the way that that happened is that I'm one of the, I'm maybe the very first person in psychology to have a podcast. Mm. I, I make that claim. I can't absolutely prove it, sure. but no, nobody has come along and, and shot me down. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've sort of embraced for the, well, at this point, I'll, I'll resist <laughs> if, yeah. if, they, if they make that claim. But I got started the very first year that psychology, that, excuse me, that uh, podcasting became, got on the map. Yeah. And I thought, podcast? What the heck is a podcast? I was mm -hmm. hearing the word. Yeah. Because of an article that I read. And so uh, I thought, what the heck is a podcast? And I was intrigued about that because I was a amateur radio operator or ham radio operator mm. as a kid in my teens and so uh -huh. on. Learned Morse code and uh, studied for all these FCC exams and so on. Oh, wow. So, so I, you know, and I had made Heath kits back in the day. Mm. Uh, there was a company called Heath Kit and, and, you were able to build amateur radio equipment if you couldn't afford to go out and buy the expensive yeah. stuff, which as a kid, you know, I couldn't. Yeah. And um, so I knew something about transmitters and how transmitters work. And I thought, and, and I had a, an early iPod, probably one of the, yeah. early, one of the very first iPods. And I knew it didn't have a transmitter in it. So podcast how in the world could this thing cast you know yeah yeah so as i looked into it i found out that it was really like uh internet radio 
mm-hmm. where you could have your own kind of internet radio station. And I thought, oh, wow, that sounds kind of intriguing because I had a technical interest early on, as you yeah. can tell from the amateur sure. radio background. And my plan was to go into, was to become an electrical engineer. engineer. Mm. Mm. And in fact, I was originally accepted into an electrical engineering program with a full mm-hmm. scholarship at, uh, at the University of, of Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so I had this technical bent and, te- and interest in technology. And so that's partly what grabbed me. And, and the other piece of it was the, uh, you know, well, I thought, well, what could I have a podcast about? Mm. Well, I'm a psychologist already at this time point. Yeah. In time. And, uh, and I, and I, in a very interesting psychology department that is oriented towards humanistic psychology. Uh-huh. And, um, is this when you were teaching at Sonoma State or at Sonoma State University? Right. Right. And so I thought, well, we have some pretty weird people in, in the department. And, and I know <laughs> some very interesting uh, psychologists in the Bay Area and so on. Maybe I could do interviews. Mm. And and I'd actually already published some interviews. Mm. Uh, so I'd already sort of started with interviewing people. Uh, and and had been able to publish. Uh, there was a magazine called Human Behavior that's no longer out there. But uh-huh. I I uh, I was feeling competitive with a friend who who <laughs> published an interview, and I thought, well, geez, <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. Yeah, yeah. And so, and what what year was this that you learned about podcasts and started kind of uh, your first? This one? all happened during this first year of podcasting, which was two thousand five. 2005 okay wow yeah and i wish i had uh i spent so much time i had a, a friend who was kind of tracking me in i was uh at, at a distance and what i was up to and i was trying to figure out how to create a website i realized i was going to need a website and yeah. i was going to have to do it myself again it was a low bid low budget uh-huh and um and he said to me at, at one point, he said, David, you got to stop just fooling around and get going on this thing. Get started. <laughs> I wish I had because I would have been even sooner yeah. know, at the very beginning of 2005. Mm. So I think I actually got the podcast running maybe in August or so. Yeah. So, so oh, kind great. Of very cool. 2005. Now, now, can I go backwards a little bit and find out sure. how, how you got from electrical engineering to psychology? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, there's a great whole story. It's uh, you know, as I look back over my rather long life at this point, yeah, I see all of these connections and how things are interrelated and so on. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, not to leap ahead. Um, so as I say, I got accepted uh, into electrical engineering, and. I had gone to a small private uh, Protestant Christian school, mm-hmm. high school, and the math and science preparation wasn't all that strong. So even though I somehow showed up well enough on paper to get admitted into that program, yeah, um, 
I quickly discovered that particularly my one of my first classes in the engineering program was a course in calculus. Mm -hmm. And I, I, whoa, this is way, uh, way over my head. It's going too fast. I, you know, I just didn't, and I didn't, uh, high school had been so easy for me. You know, I had a, fortunately naturally a certain amount of natural intelligence which sure, i'm sure. comfortable saying at this point in my life <laughs> without feeling like i'm bragging yeah yeah and um so i um i had not developed study skills mm -hmm. because i didn't have to study to get yeah. through high school so uh college kind of turned that around in some way so i ended up dropping out of engineering fortunately i didn't lose the scholarship i mm. I, th I thought that would be a, a danger but uh thank god the scholarship people at, at penn were very generous oh great yeah and so i thought about psychology as an option because you know i was one of these people in high school people like to tell me their their problems their mm -hmm. issues uh -huh. I would, you know, and I would enjoy that and, and, and interact with them at that level. And so I thought, boy, psychology would be great. I'd never been in therapy or counseling, mm -hmm. so I'd not had not much of a gauge, you know, uh, to, th to anticipate what that field might involve. Sure. So I took introduction to psychology, mm -hmm. which was one of these big classes in a tiered, auditorium yeah with a, a famous psychologist teaching way down in the bottom there and mm -hmm. uh, and he said okay this is introduction to psychology the science of behavior mm. of animals and humans so if you are signed up for this course because you think you're going to find out about your own quirks or those <laughs> of your friends you're in the wrong place. And I thought, oh, geez, <laughs> this is bad news. That's that's what I wanted to find out about. Yeah. So he, he proceeded to to uh, make it clear what he kept his word, and it was all about uh, rats and mazes and so on, and a very behaviorist uh, orientation that totally turned me off. Uh-huh. So... I ended up majoring in creative writing. Okay. And um which turned out to be a good thing because uh writing played a, a big role in in my career as, mm. as I later went on. Yeah. Um so and then as it came time to as it started to get close to graduation I realized wait a second I might need to have a career. I could quickly starve to death as a writer, mm -hmm. you know, thinking yeah. I'm going to write the great American novel or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I had that summer gotten together with a friend and we got together over a beer mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, he, he I asked him, well, you know, well, what are you, what are you going to do? What are you, what are you studying? He was going to USC or someplace at the time, and uh, he said, I'm going to be a, uh, I'm going to be a, a clinical psychologist. Mm. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, a clinical psychologist is um, 
it's kind of like a psychiatrist, only you don't have to go to medical school. I thought, mm -hmm. oh, well, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Not having to go to medical yeah, school. Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm a Rogerian. I said, well, what's that? He said, well, whatever the person says, you just have to say the same thing back to them. I thought, well, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> that <sounds> easy. <laughs> Believe That's it or hard. not, that was kind of what planted the idea. I'm going to start taking some more psychology. And so I was able to get into abnormal psychology. Yeah. Now we're talking. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. The here are all the quirks, personal and friends, etc., and all of that. So I did that. I took some other uh, uh, psychology classes, and and I did well in them. Mm -hmm. and, and I found it really interesting. And uh, but then again, I was confronted with, wait a second, I'm going to have to get a job very soon now because mm -hmm. I've done this in my senior year. Yeah. And so I thought, well, where can I? It's not going to be easy since my major wasn't psychology. I don't have all that many psychology courses. So as I looked into it, I found that, you know, it was going to be hard. Uh, so I went to the library. I got a bunch of catalogs from yeah. other. I thought I'm going to have to get a master's degree at this point uh -huh. in time. There were no, you you had to have a, a, a PhD if you wanted sure. to be a psychologist and call, yeah. your, call yourself a psychologist, do, do psychotherapy. So I found in, in the library, I saw this catalog that showed uh, a couple of guys tossing a grizzly bear into the back of a pickup truck. Oh. And I thought, well, this, this place might let me in. <laughs> So I applied. Uh, they let me in provisionally. They said you'll have to, you'll have to, <coughs> you'll have to uh, take a, a bunch of remedial courses in our psychology uh -huh. program. <coughs> and they immediately set me to teaching. Mm. Uh, this was a way to uh, believe me. If you've <coughs> at the time, I I had to uh, teach out of. Uh, an intro to psych book that was required. And uh, okay. I learned so much psychology from Hilgard's introduction to psychology. Wow. And you, which graduate school is this or where was this at? The University of Montana. At, okay. the, time, at the time it was called Montana State University in Missoula, Montana. Ah, uh, got it, got it. Okay. Tons of stories about all that. So as a grad but, student, they were having you teach uh, undergrad yeah. courses. Yeah, yeah. And so as a result, I learned a, enough psychology that when I went to take the graduate record exam mm -hmm. in psychology, uh, I did really well. I was like 98th, 99th percentile. So I got into the University of Michigan as a result. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, they had a very, uh, both uh, Montana had an inferiority complex at the time because, okay, we may be in Montana, but we're going to have the toughest little program in, you know, yeah. in the world. So I just learned so much psychology of uh, not clinical, but other areas, mm -hmm. you know, that I could do well. And, uh, 
And what I didn't know once I got at, at the University of Michigan was that their particular take on clinical psychology at the time, they were a bastion of psychoanalytic thought. Mm-hmm. One of the one of, one of the last, I think, yeah. of the academic programs to be like totally psychoanalytic. I was pretty turned off to that. Yeah. Uh, I, even though I, I, I studied, I finally developed some study skills and, mm-hmm. and read hard and so on. <clears throat> yeah, I was, I was curious about how you got to the humanistic. It sounds like a, your friend was Rogier. Oh, again, but... I was looking for alternatives. Yeah, and, to uh, psychoanalysis. And, yeah. And so it took lots of workshops and, uh, and there was a very active uh, student-led program called Project Outreach mm-hmm. that I became part of. And we got involved with encounter groups, uh-huh. which, um, and and I got involved with leading encounter groups. Mm. And um, Around what year is this? A thing in the 70s. 70s, uh, yeah, in the 70s, uh, got so, it. Well, middle 60s, late 60s, I would say. Yeah, got it. <clears throat> and it was... Um, uh, sort of almost like there were marathon sessions, uh, you know, you'd stay up all night and mm. you would have some real emotional encounters. So that was the idea was that you would break through all of your usual yeah. stuff, uh, persona stuff. And uh, it was like a psychedelic experience, I would have mm. to say. You, your doors of perception were were kind of washed clean and i remember yeah. encountering uh, uh a guy that another graduate student uh outside of this and he and i you know going up his his name was sonny citronbaum and and uh and i i said uh you know sonny you and i have never really sat down and talked together what's uh-huh. going on with you and so on so i really wanted to you know it it put me in that place so that made a big impact on the kind of psychology i was interested in and when it came time to find a school to go to uh, again i found myself oh my god i'm going to graduate yeah <laughs> surprise surprise uh-huh after six years it's a long program at michigan mm. And uh, because you, they had us doing halftime internships the whole way. So I worked at a bunch of, uh, I worked at a counseling center at the university and also at uh, VA hospitals. Yeah. <clears throat> so when it came time to graduate, I realized I've got to find something that's going to be a good fit for me. And, uh, and because I had looked so much into alternative kinds of approaches mm. i was really i'd heard about humanistic psychology yeah. didn't know a whole lot about it but it had the right ring yeah, thought, yeah okay. what, what kind of gra- what grabbed you about humanistic or what did you find that well, really for you said, or it had the right sound yeah plus i i had you know humanistic it's it sounded uh humanistic existential i had done some reading in those areas yeah. I, had, I had had exposure through friends uh-huh. uh, 
friends who had gone out to the Esalen Institute, which mm -hmm. was a big thing at that time uh, in California, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, a, gro a growth center. And, and can you actually describe humanistic existential for for listeners that might not be uh, kind of know know a lot about it? Well, at the time, it was said that there were uh, three mainstreams of of psychology, and uh, one was psychoanalytic, mm -hmm. Freudian psychology. The other was behaviorism or Skinnerian psychology. And the third was this sort of humanistic approach, mm -hmm. which did not have as as large a following, but it was because of there was a kind of a, a craze that was going on of uh, workshops that were being done across the country where people were, uh, uh, I'm sure people maybe have heard of Werner Earhart and Est, uh -huh. Earhart Seminars Training. Okay. That's that sort of set the model. Is this like the human potential movement kind of stuff? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. The human potential movement. And I was knee deep in the human potential movement and really felt, okay, these are my people. This is yeah. the way I, the kind of psychology I'm interested in the way I want to be with people in a, in a self-revealing, uh, uh, a source of ways to interact with people. Yeah. And actually, can you tell me a little more about, cause I, you know, I've heard a lot about these things, um, you know, it's before my years uh, and I, you know, it, it, and what was that like, what was going on in the human potential movement? This was just a, a time period of where people were, you know, kind of maybe trying to be more insightful, more aware of what their own experiences were kind of digging deeper, which was maybe very different from the previous kind of years uh, that yeah. were more 1950s kind of conservative, just kind of follow the, the the cookie cutter? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so this is happening in the 60s, right around, you know, when things are, Vietnam is is happening, while it started while, uh, while I was in my doctoral program and I ended up getting a, a student deferment and also I was married. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that helped not to have to go to, uh, not to have to go to the v Vietnam War. Yeah. But uh, I had friends who went to great lengths to, to, uh, who risked becoming actually psychotic and and went to huge lengths to fail. Yeah. Uh, dr the draft. Wow. So we were right on the cusp of a time of great protests. Mm -hmm. Great looking for anti-authoritarian mm -hmm. alternatives, mm -hmm. the beginnings of distrust of government. Mm -hmm. And so th there was a quest for new ways of being, new institutions. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that places like Esalen and, and other growth centers that's popped up around the country People would get together in groups to explore new ways of being, to look into, uh, often there were academics there who were exploring uh, philosophies and so on, and, and new approaches to therapy. So yeah. Fritz Perls was famous for uh, for uh, Gestalt therapy, and, uh -huh. and new therapies were 
cropping up like yeah. wild wildflowers. Yeah, yeah. So that was the time when I was coming up. And so the podcasting, I'm going to come, <laughs> let's get yeah, back yeah. to the podcast. I, I was actually thinking about that. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. I wanted to interview. I thought, what can I do? Well, I can interview these kinds of people. Yeah. And so I thought I would start with people that I knew. Uh -huh. But I quickly realized that I could reach out to people that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, and I got, I got, and because uh, the department, the humanistic psychology department was very diverse in terms of the other faculties, each of us had different trainings and, and uh -huh. interest areas and so on. So it wasn't really like a, a a solidly altogether coherent thing yeah but but uh so i did get interested in i wanted to i as time went on i wanted to i got interested in big fish yeah i looked at it like fishing uh-huh i wonder who i can get who could i talk to okay and I became interested in talking, particularly to some of these very high-profile, famous psychologists mm -hmm. that I think if we had met at a conference, well, who are you? You know, I would yeah, just yeah, right. fish. Uh, I, I would be hard to engage them. But the power of the microphone mm -hmm. quickly discovered was, was like uh, very powerful because they wanted to get their work out. They yeah. they wanted to, you know, they had something that they wanted to release to the world and I could help them do that. Definitely. And, and so. And it sounds like too, that, that during that time in the human potential movement, you were kind of interested in looking for different ways of thinking. Right. And part of your podcast is right. talking to all these people that have exactly. very different ways of thinking and different perspectives. And exactly. Such. And also I, I developed skills you know, I, the the, uh, the skills of counseling and psychotherapy certainly were relevant. Mm -hmm. to, uh, and also, I quickly discovered that I had that I had a much better education than I realized. Uh -huh. I absorbed enough information that I could interview these uh, high power, high powered, high performers. Yeah, in our field. And be on fairly equal footing. Yeah, yeah. I, I could have an intelligent conversation with them. I could understand what they were trying to say, mm -hmm. uh, and and help them articulate it. And uh, and then the other major thing that we probably don't have time to deal with, but at some point I decided to. I I was already a full professor after a few years, uh -huh. and. Um, and I thought, well, what else can I do? And the co personal computer thing was just starting to happen. This mm. is in, in in the late sixties, I think. Okay. Uh, no, it's further along than that. But at any rate, um, like eighties, like personal computer, like uh... yeah, I think so, early eighties. And yeah. uh, so Apple had the Apple yeah. computer was out there. There were other competing brands. Mm -hmm. It was very whimsical at that time. Yeah, yeah. And so I was thinking, well, what else could I, I, I went, oh, darn, I should have become an engineer. This <laughs> looks like a very exciting area. 
And yeah. I and here I'm how can I get involved in that? Yeah. So I started doing uh interview uh, uh what do they call it? Uh chatting people up, uh networking. With, yeah. Who do you know that's doing something with computers that's sure. in the industry? And that got me, I ended up meeting a a fellow who was also sort of in the humanistic uh uh, realm. He had. Uh, did he have a master's? I'm not even sure he had a master's degree. May have only been a, ma a bachelor. But at any rate, he was sort of a genius guy with a silver tongue who got me involved in market research. Okay. Um, and in doing focus groups, it turns okay. out that focus groups. I heard of a very group oriented, and so yeah. much of my work. And now focus groups are a business approach mm -hmm. in which you can talk to people with your people who've hired you behind a one-way mirror yeah and you're going to try to get information from consumers of their products or software uh -huh. or whatever to help the decision makers in these companies yeah some uh, so qualitative up, kind of research yeah qualitative research and discovered that and qualitative research like hypnosis, one of the other major areas that I was involved in okay. uh, clinically for a number of years, um, and dreams. You know, these I was always interested in these uh -huh. sort of borderline phenomena. Sure, sure. And because um, they seem to have the the excitement and the, the potential. So here I was, and and focus groups have had a up and down reputation in the business community for years um, mm -hmm. because you know there's always that hunger for quantitative truth yes on the one hand and the but the subjective is still yeah so important the kind of phenomenological experience yes it's so so important so i did uh, uh, uh focus groups for about 15 years 18 years i uh the guy I was working with eventually retired. Mm -hmm. He's like six years younger than me or eight years younger than me. Uh -huh. and, uh, but he's just very sharp. And, and uh, he really trained me well because he would hold my feet to the fire. And if I was, you know, he, he would insist on the best. Yeah. And uh, I started out writing reports for him. Uh -huh. Again, the creative writing. I was able to write these very dynamic reports and um and which he could pass off as his own very quickly yeah. mm -hmm. that made me valuable to him and so then i uh at some point i realized well wait a second this could be happening online mm. so again i was among the people i was in the vanguard of people who started to do online qualitative research oh wow and i uh i rose high in an organization called QRCA, the quality qualitative research consultants association. Yeah. Is this like doing with over webcam? Um, and initially it was uh, it was before Zoom. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> but Zoom, but certainly it moved into Zoom very quickly, and yeah. it, it used some other early tools. Uh, I can't even remember what. Yeah, we were using Skype back when we did our interview in 2009. Using what Skype? Yes, Skype. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I've done Skype as well, Skype groups. So yeah, uh, wow. so so this drew upon my writing uh -huh. stuff, and, and and the graduate program I was uh, had to write reports, testing reports, diagnostic uh -huh. reports, and again I I had a flair for that that yeah. made me stand out, and then here I am, and then the, all of the group work so. Everything came together. Yeah, great. I feel like I feel like blessed that yeah uh, that my career blossomed in so many areas, and everything that that I did ended up having a, a, a utility. I, yeah, I, I, I all, had all a, these different kind of pieces came together. Yeah, just uh, this past year, I, I officially closed down my <laughs> online research. Uh, called e-focus groups and again yeah, got it. Okay. I, I like that name that was a good name e -focus. that's a good name yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and and part of what i'm uh to check out and um, you know one of the things that for me when i first started grad school i took a you know a, a course that looked at all the different theories of of psychotherapy and i i just got so interested in every different one. And that's kind of how I got on my road to doing, I wanted to, I think Albert Ellis was coming to town. So I wanted to go do a training with him. And I was like, oh, I want to go out and train with all these masters that have, you know, kind of are. Yeah, and I didn't train with him, but I definitely was aware of him. Yeah. Uh, uh, saw him do a presentation and a demo. Sure. Yeah. And, well, and, and, uh, and so I would check that stuff out for myself too. And yeah. that was well, one of the things that I really, was struck by in the in interviewing you was how uh, hungry you were to explore and develop. Well, that's what I was actually curious with. with so many approaches. And I was curious with your podcast, is that also a similar hunger to kind of learn from all these different people and all these kind of various perspectives where yeah. some people just kind of pick one and they stick with it. I always love kind of learning from all these different angles. And I had a right. great teacher in grad school, we would, we would almost do like the United Nations of like theories. And each of us would have kind of, we would talk about cases and, yeah. and do a little card that we'd bend and kind of come from a different theory and say, well, yeah. CBT way, I would think about it this way or, and so on. But this, this idea of kind of looking, and I'm, I'm wondering if that was part of the podcast kind of that you were doing was kind of looking at various ways of thinking, because your, your podcast was not kind of uh, on just one track of say humanistic you have gone all over you that's know. right uh, and and it wasn't even one track in terms of being devoted to psychotherapy yeah uh, so uh people that i interviewed were many were researchers professors uh uh most uh authors was the thing that kind of emerged uh, yeah. a lot of people who had written books and so they sure. they needed to uh to, to, to promote their book well and, uh, and even too i remember you did one on uh, uh a shaman um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. multiple shaman uh, ones. Multiple shamans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 and i even took a shaman workshop myself uh and because uh one of my students spun off in that direction and developed a shaman company wrote many books on shamanism and so on right. so yeah all of these different you know it, and it's forced me to be open-minded uh-huh and puts me on the edge of 
well, how open-minded can I be? How, how accept, I want it to be academically respectable uh -huh. if I can, to feel like there's some substance here and not just, there are lots of other podcasts now, there are over a million of podcasts out there. Um, so there are other podcasts where people who seem a little wacky yeah, you know, yeah. Well, <laughs> they, we'll, can, we'll. They, they can find places to, to be so i i turn some people down mm -hmm. that want to be uh interviewed but uh, but i try to uh to not be too close-minded and you know i th i think that uh figuring out what is real it's funny to be on the on the that we're forced in today's world to figure out what's real because there's so much like content out there there's there's so much content there's so many uh uh points of view struggling mm -hmm. so many different sense people have different realities that they're working from yeah um uh you know is there a god is there a purpose to mm -hmm. it all mm -hmm. did it all just happen by accident and you know, and what with the the uh, the different divisions and threats that we are finding in our society, yeah, the whole uh, knowledge is mm -hmm. up for grabs, and yeah, so I, it's hard to find a to to keep your footing. And this, I find to stay, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a well, and uh, yeah, and there's a lot it's of a challenging time that we live in. A lot of misinformation, and and really, you know, kind of taking yes. some, as as kind of truth with a capital T when there's maybe not so much kind of backing it up. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and and then the, the internet turns out to be a dangerous place, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and tech and technology is not as benign as I you know would have reflectively reflexively accepted in my youth and uh, you know i've become aware of the dark side of technology yeah and and just uh, just about everything out there has a dark side yeah. and, and a light side well I, I was curious too do you get much feedback about your podcast or about its effect on therapists or the clinical community or you know even lay people like what what if you what kind of feedback have you gotten? Well, uh, in the early days, I used to get a lot more feedback than I do now, partly yeah. because it's it's just gotten, there's so many podcasts out yeah, there yes. people can choose from. As I say, there are more than a million podcasts. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and there are tons of podcasts about psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. you know? And so people have a lot of choices. And also, everybody is time time starved these days. Yes, yes. I think they don't have a lot of time to to respond, and and so I don't I don't hear get as much feedback. Yeah. One important source of feedback is people like you who say, "Oh yeah, it turns I didn't know that you were out there listening." Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I I hear from people that say, "Oh, you know." When I get around to interviewing them, they say, "Oh yeah, I've been I've been following you know, yeah, Shreveport well, yeah. Radio for years." 
Well, I know that, you know, I was listening in grad school and I, uh, you know, I used to run back then and I would be listening to your podcast and, and run along, just learning all these different ideas and just eating it up. And, and then now, as I've been training people for many years now, oftentimes kind of referring to different podcasts that you've done to kind of like, oh, you know, there was a podcast on this. You should check that out because this yeah. would be really helpful with your client or something like that. Or, you know, because it's, it's such a nice way to get a quick overview and I, right. you know, for me, at least now that I've got kids, it's, it's very hard to find time to read. Um, and so, you know, being able to listen to a podcast and kind of have the condensed version of these ideas, um, of course, you're going to get way more depth in, in reading about it, but it's, it's just a nice way to connect with these ideas and kind of, you know, get a, get a sense of what you might be interested in and going deeper, um, and, you know, your, your work was the inspiration for this podcast, uh, you know, and, and really That's me wonderful. kind of interviewing folks and, you know, particularly areas that I'm interested in, uh, areas that I think are important for other clinicians to, to get out there um, and, you know, areas where I just don't have time to read all the research on this. So, you know, kind of interviewing the person and getting their yeah. review and, and it's yeah. just been kind of a, a wonderful medium and you've really been a pioneer in, in this for our field for psychology. Um, yeah, thank you. And, and particularly too, for many clients, um, you know, I, my podcast that you interviewed me on oppositional defiance back in 2009, I, you know, for years, people would contact me and say, oh, I heard this podcast and I really want to come and get help. We didn't quite understand what was going on with a kid. This makes a lot of sense. And so I think it's really helpful for, for clients that are kind of confused or, you know, that, uh, of what's going on. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a play, uh, podcast for, are good for people who are shopping for therapy. Totally. You know, and uh, checking out different potential therapists or different potential approaches and trying to figure out what it's all about. So, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's such an, a powerful educational tool. Definitely. And I, I think you also received an award from the American Psychological Association. Yeah. Yeah. I did. They, uh, they actually, I was able to persuade them that I was the, uh, <clears throat> the I think I persuaded them that I was <laughs> the first psychology uh, podcaster. And uh, uh, they, the award was really recognition of being a, uh, a pioneering person, uh, getting this, uh, using this to spread the word about psychology and teaching. Yeah. And I'm wondering about... Um... Because the tenets of, of humanism and kind of how that plays out into this work, because I imagine, right, even doing this podcasting, bringing in all these different perspectives was kind of led by, you know, part of that. And I guess I don't know if if if, if that's true at all for, for you, I guess, do you feel at all that some of the values of, of the humanistic kind of um, approach or perspective has guided it all, you, you know, creating this great well, it's definitely It definitely guided me. And the one of the fascinating developments um, is the advent of positive psychology. Mm -hmm. So here's positive psychology comes along. And my initial response was, wait a second, that's what we were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, that was the the vision of a humanistic existential psychology. And um, and so there was a, a little bit on some quarters, people really had a 
uh, difficulty coming to terms with that, accepting that. Mm -hmm. So I started going to the um, positive. I went to some uh, 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 APA conventions where uh, I think I was at the may have been at the very first one where uh, the then president of uh, of APA mm -hmm. was Martin Seligman. Yeah, Seligman. And and he announced at that I think that he was. Um, he was announcing the creation of humanistic psychology, of um, a positive, positive yeah. psychology. And it was sort of a mixed message because he also created a coaching program. Mm -hmm. now, wait a second. Now, this is a new thing that in a university setting, he's at, you know, again, He's at the University of Pennsylvania. Yes, yes. <laughs> which uh, I had gone to yeah, as a yeah. graduate and had been in a totally different camp. Um, and so there's a you know there's the coaching program and so on. I tried to interview him, uh, and he turned me down a couple of times, no and bummer. he kind of kind of batted me away. You know, it was hard to. Uh, persuade him that I was legit. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, uh, but, but positive psychology. So, what's happened is that the the ideas of positive psychology are so integrated into the culture now yeah. that people don't recognize it as a separate thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is ho hum, you know. Oh, oh, oh we're going to do trust falls. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to try to uh, listen better, et cetera, et cetera. Try yeah. to be more open. And corporate trainings routinely put all of those elements in as, you know, for their executives. Yeah. And my so my and wife so used a strength finders exercise at a recent, uh, you know, kind of tech company uh, event that she was. Yeah, so people event. don't even recognize it as a separate thing. Yeah, which, which is good. Yeah, so in a way, it it uh, it's succeeded so well as to create <laughs> its own demise. Yeah, but it's kind of gone beyond just the yeah. the, the name of the approach or so on. But yeah, it's yeah, almost part of the fabric of kind of the the you know corporate world or the you know different kind of areas of uh, and, and led in that way. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. Well, it, it's been wonderful talking to you about all this, and you've just had an incredible you know career and and really just have had such an impact. Uh, I think on the the field. I think. Whether you hear about that much or not, I, th I think it's definitely a, a really huge ripple effect. Um, and I know in my own podcast, sometimes not hearing feedback, but, you know, you're looking at the numbers of people downloading and seeing, yeah. uh, you know, all around the world and, and you know, that people are downloading or listening to it. Yeah, that's one of the gratifying things, too, isn't it, to, yeah. to discover that, wait a second, I've got people, you know, all over the world and unexpected yeah. places. Definitely. Yeah. Is there any last piece that you want to add um, that, that you'd like listeners to, to know about? Well, I want to thank you for, uh, for this opportunity uh, to, uh, I hope I haven't talked too long and too much. Mm -hmm. And I would just uh, refer people to check it out. Shrinkwrapradio.com. Rap is spelled R-A-P. Mm-hmm. 
I pride myself on coming up with clever names. I thought yeah, that's great. Groups was great. Shrink Wrap Radio has been a great name, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, wonderful. Yeah. And I definitely encourage people to to check it out. And there's just, I mean, I think, uh, gosh, I even forget it's, it's up to, you know, 800 uh, and, or I was episode 876. And I think you've even had a couple more episodes, you know, come up since then uh, that you yeah. published. And so just a, a great you know, uh, amount of uh, resources out there for folks and clinics, clinicians who are developing or have heard about certain things, but want to kind of learn more. Um, and I really appreciate it. You've been an inspiration and you've done just wonderful work. I want to thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. No. Okay. Thanks for coming today. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to receive continuing education credits for the podcast you just listened to, please go to therapyonthecuttingedge.com and click on the link for CE. Our podcast is brought to you by the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, where we provide trainings for therapists in evidence-based models through live and online workshops, on-demand workshops, consultation groups, and online one-way mirror trainings. To learn more about our trainings and treatment for children, adolescents, families, couples, and individual adults with our licensed experienced therapists in person in the Bay Area or throughout California online, and our employment opportunities, go to sfiap.com. To learn more about our associateships and psych assistantships and low-fee treatment through our nonprofit, Bay Area Community Counseling and Family Institute of Berkeley, go to sf-bacc.org and familyinstituteofberkeley.com. If you'd like to support therapy for those in financial need and training in evidence-based treatments, you can donate by going to BACC's website at sf-bacc.org. BACC is a 501c3 nonprofit, so all donations are tax deductible. Also, we really appreciate your feedback. If you have something you're interested in, something that's on the cutting edge of the field of psychotherapy, and you think therapists out there should know about it, send us an email. We're always looking for advancements in the field of psychotherapy to create lasting change for our clients.